The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Even if I haven't said it recently, this still remains the most important podcast in the universe. I'm Josh Norris. I bring it up every time, but we're keeping closer to your drafts. Hopefully, these episodes are teaching you something. I listen back to them because I edit them, and I learn something each time from our guests. So as you know, there's been a little bit of turnover at Roto World this summer, and we have two new full-time hires. And really, this is an episode to introduce them. A little bit. We have Ian Hartitz and we have Hayden Winks. Hayden's been on the podcast before during draft season. This is Ian's first time. It's actually my first conversation with Ian, so I know you're going to enjoy that. The outline for the episode is 10 bold predictions, five from each person. They're daring, they're intrepid, courageous, brave, and most of all, fearless. You know, Ian and Hayden aren't saying these are absolutely coming true, but they are important to keep in mind as you are doing your fantasy drafts because you can take advantage of this unafraid mindset that each brought to the table here. I also want to point you to the Rotoworld draft guide. The best way to access it is go to rotoworld.com slash win, W-I-N, and buy the draft guide there. The draft guide has rankings, it has projections, it has auction values. You can even do custom scoring depending on your league if it's tight end focused, if other unique types of scoring. And most of all, soon, one of the most important columns each year taking advantage of the default rankings on ESPN and Yahoo and wherever else you're drafting from. So you can draft those players that are down further the list at their correct ADP or even a little bit before it. All right, since he's new here, we'll first go with Ian Hartitz as he bets lead off with this initial bold prediction. Lamar Jackson will finish as a top eight fantasy quarterback this season. I know some people might think that sounds crazy here, but all I'm asking the guy to do is exactly what he did last season when we saw him as a starter. Jackson worked as the P- as the fantasy football QB8 weeks 11 through 17, and I don't see any reason why we shouldn't expect him to be able to do that again. And honestly, Josh, it just comes down to his ability to run the ball. I mean, we've heard about the offense having an extra summer to, you know, form a, form a more Jackson-friendly offense instead of giving him the leftovers of the Flacco unit. And so there's reason to expect positive uh, progression as a passer there. He did improve every year at Louisville as well. But just his rushing, we have never seen anything like this at the quarterback position. Uh, in those seven weeks, he was a top eight player. That includes running backs and rush attempts, rush yards, and touchdowns on the ground. I mean, the only guys that averaged more yards per game than him on the ground were Zeke, Gurley, Mixon, Chris Carson, and Jesus. Saquon Barkley. 
Lamar Jackson. <laughs> it's bonkers, man. 79 rushing yards per start. Mike Vick's best season ever was only 65. I'm not saying he's better than Mike Vick, but yeah. they're, clearly they're willing to use him as a rusher. And I mean, my last point with this is there's only been 20 instances of a quarterback having at least 100 rush attempts in a season since 2000. 13 of those 20 finished as a top six scorer and 10 of those 20 finished as a top three. So, you know, if, if he can stay healthy, Lamar Jackson is going to rack up fantasy points. And it's notable because he's not going as quarterback six. He's going as quarterback 16 right now over the last couple of weeks. And it just speaks to how deep the quarterback position is this year. Again, there is no reason to take Patrick Mahomes in the second round. No reason to take Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers in the fourth round. Pass on Baker Mayfield and Matt Ryan, probably where they're going in your drafts at home. Wait until, to me, that Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray territory. And even if you miss on those, Lamar Jackson's just sitting there. Like, how often are you exiting drafts with Lamar this preseason? Oh, almost like every single one I can get my hands on. Because <laughs> no, because like you said, man, it's not like we're having to. It's not like a Kyler Murray situation where you maybe take him around too early because you're worried about someone else scooping him from you. You can wait. Go get all the skill position players you want, and Lamar is going to be there after the first ten QBs are gone. And, you know, even yeah. if you are in a situation where you got a Carson once, you can still maybe even afford to get Lamar as your number two QB, which, you know, how great of a backup plan is that? So let's try to put ourselves in people's shoes that aren't believers. Is it because points at the quarterback position are almost unanimously, almost every single time, scored via passing? And this is just different points scored because he might only have 100, 120 passing yards per game, but he also might give you 100 rushing yards. Like that gives you 10 points plus a touchdown is 16 rather than just, you know, four based on that 100 passing points. Yeah. I mean, I think it's if you watch Lamar Jackson play, I mean, in those starts, and we saw what happened against the Chargers, he really wasn't able to, you know, once they really zoned in on stopping the Ravens' run game, he wasn't able to consistently move the ball in the air, um, yeah, uh, down the field. And when you do see a, one of these rushing quarterbacks begin to struggle with the rushing part, obviously the passing doesn't come easy to him. It becomes just super terrible to watch. And I understand why that would kind of turn some people off it. But again, it's just that rushing floor that you got to um, just embrace and realize it's going to be there for him. And again, I mean, this isn't a situation where I think we need to assume that Lamar is always going to be this terrible passing quarterback. They've added guys like Miles Boykin to this offense that are going to give him, uh, I don't want to say better because I love Smokey Brown. You know, I'm not, he had options there last year, but at the same time, it's going to be his second year in this offense. It's, it's not like, I mean, he, again, he started week 11 last year for the first time. Now he's had an entire offseason to help put this offense yeah. around him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I get the concerns a little bit, but. Again, luckily for uh, the fantasy investors, you don't even have to use a, a top 10 quarterback pick on, to get it. Right. And if he fails, then you just drop him and play the matchups from there. I mean, a lot of people are going to do that in your league no matter what. Uh, I do want to add this because you watch the preseason games. I watch the preseason games. And there's been all this talk about the Cardinals offense, right, and how they aren't showing anything. I kind of feel like the Ravens are like that a little bit. I think that they're going to go into the season in week one and show formations, show packages, show plays. I mean, show like 20, 30 different run combinations that we have yet to see from them because we have this, again, entire offseason from Greg Roman to devise a game plan around a quarterback with a unique skill set that doesn't come around the NFL very often. 
Hundred percent, man. Look, I, I I get how people they they don't want to overrate preseason and all that, and yeah, that's where we shouldn't lose our minds over Kyler Murray's performance over two weeks because, like you're saying, the new schematic advantages we're going to see when week one and inevitably uh, comes around. I think the more important things is you know seeing who is lining up with that first team offense, you know who's getting the snaps alongside Lamar Jackson, and part of that reason is why you know I'm a little bit curious if Mark Andrews is going to be the number one. Uh, receiver in this yeah. offense with how much Boyle and how much Hayden Hurst are also involved. But uh, yeah, no, I think uh, especially in terms of just running the football, because, you know, when uh, Kingsbury and Harbaugh know how much Lamar and Kyler respectively are going to be running, of course, they're not going to show off their entire, you know, read option package and all the different things that are going to expose those quarterbacks to more hits because, you know, we'll wait till September to do that. Eliminate a massive edge if they did that. All right, Ian, hit us with number two. Will Fuller will finish this season as a top 20 fantasy football receiver we've seen him do just that whenever this Texans offense has been fully functioning Uh, he's played 11 games with Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins over the past two seasons in that time Fuller has caught 45 passes for 782 yards and 11 scores that's good for 17.2 points per reception per game that would have been a wide receiver 13 mark last season and look it's he's a boom bust guy to an extent but I don't think he's one of these you know, John Brown, Deshaun Jackson, best ball only type targets. I think he's more of a Brandon Cooks where we got to appreciate that there is wide receiver one potential every single week with this guy. I mean, he's posted a top 10 fantasy score in six of his 11 games with Deshaun. I mean, it's every single time he goes out there, he scores a touchdown. And it's not only like I'm I'm not just so confident fully because of what he does on the field. It's also what happens to Texans offense when he's off the field. I mean, we see Watson's yards per attempt drop from 9.03 yards per attempt to 7.2 when Fuller's off the field. Even DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, once defenses can really uh, focus on him even more so than they already do and not have to worry about that field stretcher. I mean, Hopkins has had 12 touchdowns in 11 games with Fuller, and he's had 12 touchdowns in 21 games without Fuller over the past two seasons. So Fuller is really that key that unlocks this, you know, really explosive Texans offense. And it's just the best fit for him because, I mean, someone that's that yep. speedy and can put that much pressure on a defense, when you combine that with Deshaun Watson, who is one of the most willing uh, downfield quarterbacks in the league when you look at average target depth and just his I – mean, I know he takes a lot of sacks, but that guy's ability to just kind of evade pass rushers and extend plays and then take those shots downfield, it's the perfect storm. It's not a wild opinion at all to say that Deshaun Watson – has a chance of ending the season as the overall quarterback one. And if that happens, it's most likely going to be Will Fuller plays the entire season and you have laid out their stats when they play together. And it's interesting that you brought up the other receivers that some people might you know, lump him into because he is a big play threat. Um, but Will Fuller's going as wide receiver 33. And so predicting him as a top 20 wide receiver or saying it's a possibility, I think is awesome. And you also brought up Brandon Cook's name. Brandon Cook's is going as a top 20 wide receiver right now as wide receiver 16. And if we talk about, and I don't know if the Texans are going to throw as much as the Rams will this season, but if we talk about you know diversifying the targets, it's really the two most beneficial targets in Houston's offense are going to be DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. Meanwhile, with the Rams, you have you have three mouths you have to feed in that wide receiver core. Exactly, and you know maybe Kiki Kuti's injury isn't as bad as it looked. I know the tests so far have been good things, and they're hoping he's ready around Week One, but. Even then, I mean, Kuti is in their slot. Like he's that underneath guy that I think, if anything, you know, him and Duke Johnson would be the type of guys in that offense uh, souping up those targets in the middle of the field. Fuller's the guy yeah. that you know is going down the field, getting those fancy friendly deep balls. 
from Watson, who, like you said, man, I mean, Deshaun Watson has that real overall QB one in his uh, range of outcomes. If he didn't, I mean, if he didn't get beat up so bad in that Dallas game where he literally like had to ride a bus to some of the following games because, you know, his ribs and lung couldn't even deal with the flight. I mean, don't forget, he had something like four or five straight games last year where he didn't even throw over 25 passes because the Texans were just trying to protect him. I mean, he gutted it out, hats off to him. And, you know, it's, Again, we got to assume health with these guys, but I'm, I'm much more inclined to at least take a chance on these players that have been banged up when they've shown these, you know, top 20, top 10, and Deshaun Watson's case, top one ability. We didn't plan this, but can I put you on the spot a little bit? Let's do it. Because Will Fuller's going above Corey Davis, Dante Pettis, Curtis Samuel, which I think is a pretty interesting group in the range of outcomes for those guys, kind of all over the place, but I, I really like a bunch of those names. But he's going after the likes of Sammy Watkins. Christian Kirk, Robbie Anderson, Alshon Jeffrey, Jarvis Landry. Those are the next five receivers above him. Do you feel comfortable with Will Fuller in that ADP? Or would you take him even higher than that? Oh, I've taken him over every single one of those other guys. I mean, look, Love it. The, only, the only guy I think you're going to take over Will Fuller is a true number one in their offense or someone that really – Like Allen Robinson? <laughs> well, we'll see on Allen. Uh, he's, he does have that chance to be a number one. It's it's a crowded <laughs> offense, and you know, then you, yeah. then you got to balance. Okay, do I want the clear cut number two, and what's probably going to be a better offense versus a you know more of maybe a, a lower volume wide receiver one? But uh, no, definitely over those guys. Uh, you know, like uh, Robbie and Alshon and these guys who could uh, very, very well finish number two uh, in their offenses and targets. Hit us number three. All right, I think Tyler Lockett will finish as a top twelve fantasy wide receiver and look it's not that far removed from what we saw last season he was the wide receiver 16 in uh, points per reception scoring he did that on 70 freaking targets the entire season it's absolutely insane he obviously does offer some added upside as a returner and and a rusher at times on the you know fly sweep game and stuff like that but the big thing here and everyone you know everyone loves to point to regression when these guys have these great seasons which I get it. Russell Wilson is not going to have a perfect quarterback rating targeting Tyler Lockett again. With that said, though, we got to keep in mind that when these guys are putting up these incredibly efficient seasons and these great numbers, that's also just a sign that we're talking about some really, really, really good players here. I mean, look, I took the adjusted yards per attempt between every quarterback and wide receiver one in the league. And Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett only trailed Tom Brady and Josh Gordon. That means Russ and Tyler were more efficient than Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill on a per-target basis throughout their career. So we're now looking at a situation where we have a proven, incredibly efficient combination of two very good players, and there's a big-time target bump coming here for Tyler Lockett. Doug Baldwin is retired. God bless the guy. He averaged 115 targets as the Seahawks' undisputed number one receiver from 2015 to 2017. I realize now in the Schottenheimer uh, offense that it's unfortunate, but they're going to be run first, run second, run third. But with that said, I mean, they can't possibly, uh, maybe they'll try, but I don't think they can run the ball more than they did last season. And with the extra hmm. target share available for Lockett, I mean, it just makes sense to me that he's going to be able to start putting up true wide receiver one numbers because there really isn't any more competition in this offense. DK Metcalf is already banged up. And even once he's good, I mean, you look at all these receivers, you know, Jerome Brown, Darbo, uh, Metcalf, Ferguson, they're all these, you know, six foot one, six foot two, over 200 pounds, sub four, four, sub five guys. I mean, the Seahawks have a type and it's these big athletic receivers to throw on the outside, which is fine because we got Lockett in the slot. He's getting all the, he's getting higher percentage targets. He should get more of those with Doug Baldwin gone. And we already know he's one of the right. most efficient deep ball receivers in the league. So 
Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I, I want all the title locket I can get this year. Let's break this down a little bit. And I'm totally with you on this. Like my favorite stack right now. And if I could implore anyone out there that wants advice from me, which take it with a grain of salt, uh, as you head into drafts this weekend or next week or whatever, and you're thinking about stacking an affordable one, 100% is Chris Carson. Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson. Like, I absolutely love it because to me, you're getting the three most important figures in that offense. But I don't think Tyler Lockett's role this year is going to be necessarily similar to the one last year. And I think you outlined it perfectly, right? Because he has been one of the best vertical receivers. But I bet we see a lot more of a high percentage, higher volume targets this year, more in that slot Doug Baldwin role. And while you might not get those big plays, those big explosive plays, still the higher percentage and volume that we're going to get will outweigh that. I guess, and and it will be even more predictive week in and week out. As long as the Seahawks have had Russell Wilson, they have been a high-scoring offense. Now, for once, we actually are able to break down the volume at these different positions more clearly than we have before. Even if Rashad Penny is going to be more involved than we might think, which, you know, based on how well Carson's been doing in camp and preseason and all that, I'm with you. I think Carson's going to be the clear-cut bell cow. Mike Davis and all his touches from last year are gone anyway, so at least we're now dealing with two backs instead of three like last year. And then, yeah, like we're saying with Lockett, no more Doug Baldwin, who has been the clear-cut number one receiver in Seattle for the last half decade. And, I mean, it's I feel like right. everyone's first kind of response with Lockett is, oh, they can't be that efficient again. But, again, even if there is a drop in efficiency, if we're projecting this big of a target bump, I mean, let's go for it. 2015, Doug Baldwin had 103 targets, which ultimately ended in over 1,000 yards and 14 freaking touchdowns. I mean, we can't predict that. 2016, though, 125 targets over 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns. 2017, 116 targets, basically 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. I will take that every single year, and I think Tyler Lockett has the time to do it. I'm right there with you on this, Ian. What is number four of your powerful prediction for the season? I think O.J. Howard, by the end of the season, will be the consensus best tight end in the league. Wow. I'll give this a 10 on the scale of predictions. Absolutely a 10. I appreciate that. And look, he should already be in anyone's top five. And that's both as an athlete. I mean, I think we all knew coming out of Alabama, this guy was special just in terms of him tearing up the combine as, you know, this big fast guy in a tight end body. And all he's done is produce when given a chance. I mean, there's been a hundred tight ends that have run at least a hundred routes over the past two seasons. The only guys that have averaged more yards per route run than OJ Howard are Gronk, Kittle, and Kelsey. So, I mean, that's fourth right there. And, you know, it's been represented in fantasy scoring as well. He was a PPR tight end six last year in weeks one through 11 before he got hurt. Top 10 in pretty much every meaningful receiving category among tight ends. We all know he's incredibly athletic. We've seen him be incredibly productive. The one thing people are hesitant about is trusting Bruce Arians to really get a tight end involved in this offense because we haven't seen it before. Well, you know, we also haven't seen before Bruce Arians have a tight end as good as OJ freaking Howard. And what's what's been so fantastic, you know, mentioned this before the preseason. It's not so much of a necessarily talent or schematic evaluation time. It's more of a a personnel grouping uh, time to really analyze that. And, you know, per Adam Levitan, OJ Howard has played 21 of 22 snaps with Jameis Winston this preseason. So, you know, all due respect to red zone beast Cam Bray and preseason goat Tanner Hudson, but it's looking yeah. like OJ Howard is finally going to blow past that like 65% uh, snap rate and someone that good and productive. If we're talking 80, dare I say 90% snaps a game, Oh boy, sign me up. And it's an, it's one of those situations where I know Bruce Arians is the name in front of everything, but it's really like Byron Leftwich's offense, isn't it? I know he's going to he's been a disciple of Bruce Arians and everything, but 
not to discount what Bruce Arians is doing, but he's been vocal in saying that he wants to prop up these assistant coaches and have them create game plans. So I don't know if we can all, all the way go back to what Bruce Arians has done, you know, five, seven years ago with the tight end position, plus exactly what you said. You know, offenses change to incorporate the talented players on the roster. And really, these guys, the Bucks, have maybe two of the 20 most talented wide receivers in the league and also one of the top three to five talented tight ends in the league. Meanwhile, an awful, awful backfield. So why wouldn't it not make sense to incorporate more of a passing game with, you know, down the field, outside shots to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, or even screens at the line of scrimmage, whatever you want to do, and then incorporate, especially yards after catch capability with, it's basically all OJ Howard showed at Alabama because that's all he was afforded. It just makes complete sense to me. Yeah, and one thing we got to remember too, with these tight ends, especially like in modern day football, almost no tight ends are spending the majority of their, or the heavy majority of their snaps as a true inline tight end. I mean, Howard has had plenty of reps as a pure outside receiver or, you know, more often in the slot. Like even over these last two years, Chris Goblin and OJ Howard each have 34 career targets from lining up in the slot. Obviously, that's going to change this year. Goblin's their featured guy. But I mean, there's a very realistic chance that, you know, I, I think Aaron's going to look at this offense and especially, you know, if. Perryman remains a little bit inconsistent. I know Scotty Miller's been hurt, but if he doesn't find that true kind of John Brown type field stretcher that I think he's looking for, their best offensive formations might be Goblin, Evans, Howard, and then one of these other tight ends. So even if uh, hmm. Brayton Hudson are showing out a little bit, I really don't think uh, it's going to stop Aaron's from getting his three best uh, receivers on the field in Goblin, Howard, and Evans. So that was the simple part of your projection. Let me dig into it a little bit more, okay? Hmm. Because that means... By the end of the season, production-wise or not, tape-wise or not, he's surpassing Travis Kelsey. He's surpassing George Kittle. And I'll even throw in Evan Ingram in there because all three of those names that I just mentioned are among the most athletic, versatile, you know, fun, aesthetically pleasing tight ends across the league. And I think O.J. Howard can get there, but that's quite a mountain to climb. It is, and that's why I'm the one guy I'm projecting to climb it, O.J. Howard, still only 24 years old. He's the youngest of those guys, with the exception, yeah. I think, of Evan Ingram, or they're right around the same age. But look, I mean, Travis Kelsey, I, I think he's going to ball out this year and probably next year. But look, he's going to be 30 years old on October 5th. And, you know, I think we saw firsthand with the GOAT, Rob Gronkowski, you know, that fall off he had last year. This is a demanding position, and the league in general is a young man's game. And, you know, just if I'm going to take a shot and, you know, have a, you know, quote unquote hot take on one of these guys, I want it to be with an athletic freak and a young guy like OJ Howard. And I really Love want it. his quarterback not to be Eli Manning to uh, get away from the Evan Ingram part. So. <laughs> So those are my two. Uh, oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, Ian, let's close it out with number five. The Bills are the team that everyone wants the Jets to be in 2019. And let me start just with saying, I don't think either of these teams deserve to be discussed in competition with the Patriots. I don't think anyone is even doing that. But I have noticed the Jets getting a good amount of kind of dark horse, maybe wild card uh, hype, you know, just people excited about Darnold, expecting them to take a jump in year two. And look, I mean, they just have a ton of questions, both, you know, at the coaching staff and just on both sides of the ball that the Bills don't have. Um, first of all, you know, just looking at the Jets real quick, bringing in Adam Gase, you know, head coach, and he's going to run the offense, and Greg Williams on defense. 
Uh, I think we've all made plenty of jokes about those guys over the years. Wouldn't say they had the most outstanding track records in recent history. And we got Buffalo. They've had Sean McDermott and defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier each of the last three years. Uh, Brian uh, the Bulls in his second year running the offense. And this defense, I don't think anyone realizes how good the Bills are on all three levels of the defense. This was the number two overall unit in both overall and past DBOA last season behind only the Bears. They were number three in yards allowed per play. And again, I, I feel so much better about uh, expecting this to continue because of the continuation they have all over the place. I mean, they remind me of the Minnesota Vikings a little bit in that they have, all, again, at all three levels, the same guys coming back, and they're all studs. And even when they lose a guy, they're able to put in a more talented dude to replace him. So, you know, like they're losing longtime defensive tackle, Kyle Williams, but they're replacing him with Ed freaking Oliver, number nine overall pick. And, Love you know, it. I think anyone's idea of a top uh, – three interior defender from this past draft. They got Kevin Johnson, a uh, former Texans cornerback to help boost his uh, secondary depth. And look, I mean, Tredavious White should be on anybody's list, the top 10 corners in the league. So again, defense, I fully expect to again, be one of these elite units. And then on offense, I mean, some of the same things people are hyping up with the Jets, I think also apply to the Bills. Yeah, you know, Darnold got some more weapons. He got Le'Veon Bell, Jameson Crowder. That's great, both those guys. Josh Allen, who had, I believe, the league's single worst wide receiver group last year, now has John Smokey Brown and has Cole Beasley. And, I mean, again, I don't want to take too much away from the preseason, but if you watch Josh Allen uh, these last two weeks, he looks like a guy that's much more comfortable at, you know, throwing to these underneath receivers because he's finally got some guys breaking open. I mean, Cole Beasley had, like, five catches in the first quarter last week. And, you know, 17, actually. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Him and uh, Adam Humphrey is going to combine for about 40 catches in, in week one. But, uh, 20 plays yeah. somehow. Yeah. And now, you know, Robert Foster, who was doing a lot of good things at the end of the year, can't even find a spot in three wide receiver sets. So everything else in my mind is a check mark for the Bills. And, you know, I think they should definitely be the front runner to finish number two in that division. And they're a dark horse wildcard team. Totally with you on the Bills defense. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they finished as a top three or top five defense. I mean, McDermott has basically emulated – what his defense was with the Panthers. I mean, you talk about interior disruption, you talk about speed at the linebacker group with Edmonds and Milano, and then you have at the safety spot. I mean, I think Micah Hyde is one of the more underrated players defensively uh, in the league. And then I'm totally with you. Like with the Jets, I actually have some positive feelings about them, but a lot of that is based on the preseason. And preseason mm-hmm. performances. And that, Ian, is a dangerous game to play, <laughs> isn't it? Because we have seen in previous years when certain teams try in the preseason, they look so much better than everyone else. And then it doesn't necessarily equal that once the regular season starts. I'm not saying that is going to be the Jets. I'm saying it could be the Jets. It could be the Jets. And, you know, I, I like the Jets a ton on paper. It's just once you start looking at who's going to be, you know, trying to take that paper and place on, on field and the coaching yeah. staff, I, I just feel less good. And look, their defense does have some pieces. They added Mosley, Leonard Williams, the beast on the line. Jamal Adams looks a lot like the league's, you know, next, next great safety if he isn't already uh, one of them. But I mean, also one of these things we've noticed in the preseason is they have no cornerback depth at all. I mean, Tremaine Johnson he was a reach as it was as a number one cornerback and he's now dealing with an injury. I mean, they're, they're pretty much starting undrafted free agent rookies out there for some of these preseason games at corner. So it's, it's one of those situations where there's a lot of uncertainties on both teams. I get it. But in Buffalo, man, like again, that D is going to be sick. And I, I feel good at the very least that, you know, McDermott and those guys, they're at least going to have their team ready to play every week. 
And basically every single person on the Bills is going after their significant other on the Jets. John Brown, you mentioned it in comparison to like a Robbie Anderson, a Cole Beasley after Jamison Crowder. So I think it's a spot on comparison. Two second year quarterbacks that were drafted within the top 10. I mean, it's it's their teams are comprised pretty close, except one of them's. And kind of year three of this plan, I think the Jets are more or less in year one. And we opened with Lamar Jackson. We are closing with Josh Allen. And for both, and maybe again, this is a dangerous hole to dig for myself. I would be stunned if both passers do not improve as throwers. You know, we've kind of seen it from Lamar a little bit. We saw it with, you know, Josh Allen inside a structure working in the shorter portions of the field. I'm excited for both to take that next step this season. I think it can happen. As you can tell, this might be the podcast I speak the least, so it'll probably be everyone's favorite out there. I do want to add that this podcast is sponsored by NFL Game Pass all month long. I mean, I talked about preseason with Ian. I'm going to talk about preseason with Hayden. You can get all of this week's games for free if you go to NFL.com slash Fantasy, a seven-day free trial. You can watch all of week three of the preseason. Again, the most important week of the preseason all of those out-of-market games live, and then watch them on replay as well. The best way, to, again, to do that, the best way to do that is to go to nfl.com slash rotoworldfantasy and watch Josh Allen throw to Cole Beasley 20 times. And also need to remind you about the all-in package over at rotoworld.com slash win, W-I-N. You get the draft master, the season pass, the draft guide, and the DFS toolkit. It's listed as $129.99, but this preseason, if you use promo code ROTOPOD, R-O-T-O-P-O-D, you get it for $99.99, just the price of the DFS toolkit by itself. So if you're thinking about buying all of them together, again, use promo code R-O-T-O-P-O-D, ROTOPOD, to get it all for less than $100. All right, Hayden Winks time, again, with his five fearless predictions for the 2019 season. It's going to be difficult to win your league if you don't draft one of the first seven tight ends. And you can make a point that it could be the top six. I'm including Vance McDonald into that discussion just because of the um, volume that's left over in Pittsburgh. But Travis Kelsey's locked into volume, talented, talented at quarterback. Saw a kill did last year. You can make a case that Ertz is a value at 33. I think he's going to have a lot less targets. But O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry are all looking like they're going to be uh, breaking out this year. Again, those top seven are Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Howard, Ingram, Henry, Vance. Jared Cook is not listed in there. Eric Ebron is not listed in there. And right now they're going around tight end seven, tight end eight. What is keeping you from throwing one of those names in there and, and not making an eight grouping? Because to me, I look at it. And I believe Jared Cook was like the tight end five scoring last right. year. And now he's obviously going into a much better situation. Yeah, Jared Cook would be someone I would much rather have than Ebron. Ebron, surprisingly, wasn't playing all the snaps uh, yep. in the preseason, which was kind of concerning. He already has all the touchdown regression coming, um, at least we think. And then the Andrew Luck injury is obviously very concerning. So I'm really out on Ebron. I think he's like one of the easiest fades in all fantasy this year. Jared Cook could get a little bit interesting. I'm kind of worried that he would sneak in over Vance McDonald just because I think Jared Cook might be just a better player. But I don't know. I think it's just going to be Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. Um, There's some Drew Brees concerns potentially. So 
Um, I would just rather have the baked in volume and the younger players with uh, Howard, Ingram, and Henry. Let's say I'm going to lay out some scenarios for you. Okay. So obviously Travis Kelsey goes in round one or the early part of round two. George Kittle goes in round two or the early part of round three. Same with Zach Ertz, even though you and I are both kind of bypassing Zach Ertz this year. Uh, Then that next group of OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, who knows what order they're going to go in, but they'll most commonly go around what round five, something like that, maybe early round six. At that point, are you panicking a little bit if you don't have any of those six names? And then whereas Vance McDonald's ADP is around in round seven. Will you then end up taking him probably in round six if, if all six of those other tight ends are off the board? Yeah, I think I would in uh, like a lot of the best ball leagues that we're in. But I think if you're in your home league, I think Vance McDonald's the the name that um, doesn't make a lot of sense to your high school buddies. So it kind of, just, it kind of depends on your league. But like in a, a draft best ball championship, I'm going to be reaching for Vance McDonald. I, I just don't want to be stuck with the late round tight ends. A lot of those guys that had some positive outlooks early on in um, when we're doing some research, like Mark Andrews uh, right. kind of fallen off. And I just don't want to deal with that headache. I'd rather have somebody that has potential because all, all, um, all seven of those top guys could finish as a top three tight end. Let me, yeah, I know. I totally agree. And that's going to be my next question. Let me hit you with this scenario though. Okay? okay. Let's say somehow we do miss out on those top names. Okay those top seven or even eight or nine. And again, we never want to exit a draft in that way. Here, here is how I'm then approaching it, Hayden. I want to take Jordan Reed because I think he'll be healthy for the first four weeks. And then I also want to take Chris Herndon because Chris Herndon has played every single snap with Sam Darnold so far this preseason. And I think he's going to be an important part of that offense once the Jets hit the regular season. But obviously he's suspended for the first four games. Yeah, with Herndon, if you're looking at his like per target uh, stats from last year, they were um, not historical, but they were near historical. He just didn't get enough volumes to catch a lot of people's eyes. But that's the guy. So pairing him with Jordan Reed and, and Herndon, those guys are basically free, especially in your home league. Uh, you yep. can get those guys in the last round. I think it's it's much harder to actually look at your team and you have like three backup running backs, three backup receivers, and you still haven't drafted your tight end. But I think at that point in your home league. Um, that would kind of be my process. Just wait until like the very, very end. And then worst case, you're just going to be streaming tight ends. Yeah, Reed's going as tight end 16, Chris Herndon as tight end 17. One last question here, and I feel so bad talking about Vance McDonald without Roto Pat being here because <laughs> I swear every single time I even spoke to him without a microphone on, he wants to talk about Vance McDonald. The Steelers offensive coordinator came out today like 30 minutes before this podcast and said that he doesn't expect Vance to play more snaps this season. Now, right. last year, we know that Vance played around 55% of the snaps for the Steelers, and we all expected a larger workload snap wise because, you know, Jesse James, below average player, is off the roster. Um, but I think, Hayden, that even if his snaps don't increase, no matter what, his targets are going into increase because 240 are still on the table. Yeah, I would, I would want to go look at the snaps on pass plays um, to kind of make a full judgment off that. But yeah, I, I think even if he's not on the field, like 75% of the plays, he's going to get targeted. Like Big Ben has to be throwing the ball. And just like by default, there's like no one else to do it uh, unless we're thinking Juju's going to have 250 targets, which is obviously not happening. And that's also one of those quotes that by week six does not come into fruition. Right. You know, like you want to get your best players on the field. And even if Vance jumps from 55% of the snaps that he played to 65%, that's a major bonus for us. All right, Hayden, hit us with your second prediction for the season. So I think the Cowboys offense is the team that we should be all drafting for best ball. 
So there's it's kind of twofold here. I like the players and I like the way that the team's set up. I think one of the underrated storylines is Kellen Moore coming in and calling the plays. Um, he mm-hmm. talked about pre-snap motion, versatility. And then in these first two preseason games, the Cowboys went from about 30% motion up to like, or I don't have the exact numbers, but they basically doubled their pre-motion snaps. And I'm just kind of buying into Kellen Moore actually um, revamping this this offense. They have the tools now. You have Amari Cooper in, in town. I'm hoping Zeke gets back. But even if Zeke isn't there, I just think Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper are ready to take big leaps. And that's not even talking about Michael Gallup, who's one of the biggest bargains at wide receiver 52. I will say, I mean, Amari Cooper's not cheap, Hayden. He's sure. doing his wide receiver 13, like right on that fringe of top 12 wide receivers. I mean, he is going around Adam Thielen, T.Y. Hilton, Stefan Diggs, Julian Edelman. Does that make sense to you? I think it does. I think particularly in best ball. So Mari Cooper, we've seen it really inconsistent um, right. from week to week. They open a schedule with the Giants, Redskins, Dolphins, Saints, Packers, and Jets. That's really soft. I think Warren Sharp had that as the third softest through six weeks. So even if you're doing in your home league, Amari Cooper can come out hot, especially if Zeke's sitting out for these first couple of weeks, be heavily targeted against these soft offenses. And then if you want to unload them uh, later on when the schedule gets uh, a little harder, that's an option. But they, Amari Cooper was wide receiver nine once he was um, went to the Cowboys last year. Dak Prescott's finished in the top 10 for three straight years. He was sixth in fantasy points when he had Amari Cooper in the second half of last year. And he averaged basically one yard higher on his yard per, yards per attempt when Cooper was on the field. So I, I think there's just a lot of a lot of options with Michael Gallup and Dak Prescott double-digit rounds as a, a really easy stack, even if you miss out on Amari Cooper. I love talking with Davis Maddock earlier this week about the Ezekiel Elliott-Tony Pollard dynamic. And he said, you know, if you have a pick outside of the top three and you don't end up taking Ezekiel Elliott – then take Tony Pollard because if you're not taking Zeke at four, then you're banking on him missing games. Therefore, Tony Pollard becomes a value no matter what. I need to ask you this because I feel like this is an important time since everyone's drafting at this moment. Those three first picks in some order, Saquon, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. At what point do you feel comfortable right now with all the information that we have in selecting Ezekiel Elliott? Yes. I think David Johnson would be the fourth person. I would definitely do it. I think the, the debate is with Zeke versus DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Parker. I think the safer route is obviously going with those two receivers. We know what they're, what they're going to be giving you, uh, elite-level production. I just think if, you want, if you're truly trying to win your league and you don't care if you come in last, I think grabbing Zeke at number five would be as high as I would go, and I don't think I would let him fall past number eight. So I think it's just kind of, are you going to take the safer options with DeAndre and Devontae or not? Your third sizzling prediction for the season, Hayden. What is it? So I'm going to go with the 49ers could have two top 24 running backs, which is just a fancy way Ooh. of saying draft Tevin Coleman and draft Matt Breida. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I love it. Particularly draft Matt Breida. So last week, the 49ers basically changed uh, Coleman and Breida on their drives. So Coleman would come in, get a couple couple carries or snaps, and then Breida would come in on the third downs and then kind of vice versa. So I think you're going to be looking at uh, somewhat of an even touchback. I think Tevin Coleman's definitely going to be the, the leader there. Um, I think it's really easy to bet against Jarek McKinnon at this point. Healthy scratch, IR, he can get cut outright. We don't know what his status is, and I am definitely not betting on him coming in randomly after he hasn't uh, been himself for over a year now. 
So I think Shanahan's proven that the 49ers uh, or his offenses going back to even uh, Atlanta, they're really strong. He's had, they finished top 10 in yards for four consecutive seasons. Their backfields have in 2017, 2018, they've been, the 49ers finished 12th and 16th in total yards. And that was with a really poor personnel and they were 10th in offensive pace last year. And the schedule's a little bit easier. I just think there's a lot, a lot to ride on. And plus, I think Coleman and Brita are decently talented back. So um, I think everything's coming together. I love this. I love this. Absolutely. And as soon as you're talking about, you know, one back having a series and another back having a series, my mind automatically went to Kyle Shanahan back in Atlanta with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Like we have seen him do this before. A lot of teams around the league cannot support two running backs. Kyle Shanahan has proven he can. And I think Matt Breida is extremely talented. Tevin Coleman is very talented. But what's interesting is you're saying that both have a shot of ending the season in the top 24 at their position. Hayden, neither one are being drafted as top 24 backs right now. So both are values. I mean, that's how you let it off with. Tevin Coleman is going as running back 28 over the last couple weeks. And Matt Breida is going as running back 40 over the last couple weeks around pick 111. I absolutely love this. Steal. That's a steal. Yeah, the Tevin Coleman going back to Atlanta, he had his best season in 2016. He had his highest PFF grade most rushing touchdowns, most receptions per game. Uh, he averaged 10.5 yards per target. I mean, just truly awesome numbers. And uh, he's still he's still relatively cheap. If you're going RB or zero RB, he's he's an easy target. And I think even if you get like David Johnson in the first round and hit the or wide receivers and tight ends the next couple of rounds and come back with Tevin Coleman, yeah. you're in a great spot. So It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, right, at the top of the draft. Because we kind of all side with like the same late round picks over and over and over again, no matter what. But the top of the draft, and you mentioned taking a running back early. Okay, or you could go Michael Thomas and Odell or Julio and Devontae Adams, right? Whatever combination those first two rounds. Um, And then I know that this seems early, but I'm cool with taking a Chris Carson, Mark Ingram, like if I'm late, late, late in round three. And then if some of those other names like David Montgomery are gone or whoever else, or maybe they even fall to round four, round five in your in your drafts, um, whatever it is, like having your second running back as, as Tevin Coleman, this is basically what I'm trying to get to. Yep. I don't think is an awful strategy at all because he's going to be productive in an offense that we think is going to be good and he's going to have opportunities. And at the very least, he's going to basically alternate series when healthy with Matt Breed. Yep, I love it all. And yeah, I think the way I'm building since I'm – um, picking tight ends early, Tevin Coleman or backs like that are often being my RB two because I don't want to uh, wait too long for my receivers. So yeah, he's just someone that's right in the sweet spot. And he's going in that range. Like let's say that Chris Carson, David Montgomery, Sony Michelle range yeah. um, is the cutoff. Okay, after that it's James White, it's Philip Lindsay, it's Tariq Cohen, it's Kenyon Drake, it's Lamar Miller and Miles Sanders, and Tevin Coleman's in there and sandwiched. Of those. I mean, I understand James White will have his role in certain game plans. Tariq Cohen is going to get his touches. But Tevin Coleman might have the inside tracking the most touches on his team in that group. Yeah, I think I think Coleman's just basically in a, uh, one tier. Um, he's being drafted one tier below than uh, what he actually is. And over the last three weeks, he's actually risen his ADP by nine spots as well. All right, number four, Hayden, hit us with it. The double-digit round rookie running backs are the key to winning leagues. So there's a bunch of them this year. Damian Harris, Justice Hill, Tony Pollard, like you mentioned, Alexander Madison, Darwin Thompson. These are the guys that we want to be filling out the last part of our drafts with. 
Um, some of these guys could even creep into having standalone value, someone like uh, Justice Hill, perhaps, or Darwin Thompson or Tony Pollard. But all those guys are decent handcuffs, um, usually on decent teams. So someone like Alexander Madison, if something happens with Dalvin Cook, uh, Madison's been on every snap in the preseason with the first team. Um, they drafted him a lot earlier than uh, a lot of draft analysts thought he was going to go. So they are obviously bullish on him. Darwin Thompson looks electric. I think Justice Hills looks really strong. Um, and then Damian Harris is someone I keep keep drafting. What I like about him is he's kind of a double handcuff. Or handcuff. Uh, if James White gets hurt, I think Damian Harris has shown enough as a receiver compared to Sonny Michelle to catch some passes. And if Sonny Michelle gets injured, then Damian Harris is obviously the, the easy person to throw in there. And these are absolutely players you can take advantage of, like the curated list yep. that's in your draft room if you're drafting online. Because over the last two or three weeks, Darwin Thompson has moved up 52 spots in his ADP. Tony Pollard has moved up 70 spots in his ADP. Alexander Madison has moved up 11 spots in his ADP. They're going to li- be listed way down low around the names of like Jalen Richard and Gio Bernard and Jamal Williams, CJ Anderson, take all three of those players above each of those running backs. I just listed big time. Yeah. I'm writing a piece right now on um, beating the default rankings on these sites like Yahoo or ESPN and all these rookie uh, running backs are just going or listed way, way, way too low. low. Darwin Thompson in particular. And another person is Josh Gordon. A lot of uh, like, obviously no one's really sleeping on Josh Gordon, but he's like, being listed at like 260th player, 550th player on some of these sites. So um, I've seen him go a little bit later just because he's listed so low. The thing that I do when I enter those home leagues is find those names that are like way down the list and just star them, right? Like you put them in your queue. And so when you get to the point where you're like, I don't like any of the players here, or this is the tier for Josh Gordon that I have written down. Boom. He's right there. So you don't have to go searching for him as well. Obviously that's super obvious, but again, just a little process point that I hit on. You did not mention Devin Singletary, I noticed. Why is that, Hayden? I just don't really believe in that offense and him as a prospect. Um, if you're watching the tape like I was during this preseason, I don't, I don't put too much um, into this, but Devin Singletary looks actually really slow, and that's what the Combine told us. Um, I just don't really see a path unless Sean McCoy gets straight up traded, but even then, I just don't see... Um, how he could possibly become like a top 15 running back. And um, when you're drafting him, you're bypassing Damian Harris and Justice Hill and Tony Pollard, who are going yeah. just around where he's going. And those guys just have, if they hit, they, they're they actually hitting. They could be like top uh, like 10 RBs if everything uh, goes right. I just don't really see that with Devin Singletary. I was pleasantly surprised at how good Damian Harris looked as well. Looked explosive. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's close it out with number five, Hayden. It's the Eagles are the best team in football, and Carson Wentz is uh, a bargain for MVP. So right now, Carson Wentz, kind of depending on what your book is, he's like the sixth quarterback on the board. He's at like plus 1,400 about. And, I mean, the Eagles are so good. They're too deep all across their offensive line, defensive line. Their receivers are stacked. They have two of the top tight ends. Um, They've got a lot of um, promising pieces at running back. So it's just everything's kind of aligning for them. Even if they have injuries, whenever other teams getting injured, uh, they're going to be even looking better. They still have the Giants and Redskins in their division. I just, I see the Eagles winning um, 11, 12, 13 games. That's kind of what it takes for um, uh, a quarterback to win the MVP. So I think he's in the, the best spot outside of Mahomes. He's actually 
fallen in ADP. I know this is it's more of a gambling point and MVP odds and all that kind of stuff than fantasy. I'm surprised. He's dropped four spots in the last couple of weeks in ADP. Um, I mean, I'm leaving a lot of drafts with him because it might be difficult. We talked about Zach Ertz earlier. I like Miles Sanders, but again, we aren't exactly certain what his role is going to be. But getting the player that's at the helm of all of it just makes a ton of sense. And he's just another reason why, you know, you bypass Patrick Mahomes in round two, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, what, in, in round four, round five, Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, so on and so forth, because you have that Wentz, Newton, Russell Wilson. I mean, I'll even throw in Kyler Murray in there probably as that as that tier. And even if you miss on that, dude, that Lamar Jackson player is just sitting there as like quarterback 14. Yeah, all, all those guys you named at the end are like easy players to stack in uh, best easy. ball. And even if you're in your, in your home league, just drafting Wentz, not having to figure out um, what Zachert's target share is or if Miles Sanders is going to continue to get outsnapped by Jordan Howard or any, any of those headaches that we're dealing with. And I think the only person that I'm really confident in drafting outside of Wentz is Deshaun Jackson, who uh, has been your hero uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Championed him. Uh, yeah, this is great. Um, Hayden, thanks so much, dude. What what else are you putting out lately? I mean, I know that we have a ton of stuff for you during the season yeah. once that gets rolling around, and I'll uh, announce the in-season schedule next week. But I know you're posting, taking advantage of the default rankings. Is that going to be on the in the season pass, the draft that guide? That will be in the, in the draft guide. Uh, the biggest thing is... Premium products. Uh, the biggest thing is I've been watching every single preseason game, tracking usage, but I'm not just posting what their snap counts are. I'm kind of taking it drive by drive. I think some of these snap counts are kind of misleading right now. So, like, for example, the Saints, uh, Kamara wasn't playing the, the last drive, and I kind of hypothesized that he would be in um, in the regular season on that last drive when he's kind of getting pulled earlier than Latavius Murray. Um, so, hmm. yeah, I think there's, there's some context that needs to be involved. So I, I just wrote 4,000 words uh, on last week. Standard. Yeah, but Standard. Don't, don't get scared. I, I wrote the top 10 list, one sentence each. I'm not going into like five sentences on why Eckler is not a bargain okay. or anything like that. It's just straight to the point in my takes and get out. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe. And if you really, really, really love us, share it with one friend. If you want to win your fantasy football league, download the Roto World Football Podcast. It's that simple. Talk to you all soon, most likely on Tuesday. See you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.